few weeks ago, Nancy and I visited uh, some friends in New Hampshire, and they introduced us to a new game called Cockroach Poker. It's a deck of cards. It has eight cards in it, and every card has a picture of vermin on it. So there's a rat, and there's a stink bug, and there's a frog, and a bat, and a spider, and a scorpion, and I thought it was hysterically fun. And I've been spreading the news like flow on progressive insurance advertisements. <laughs> you have to try this new game. We played it with some friends in church last night. Well, from church, not in the church. It's just fun. We've learned lots of new games that way. Zuloretto is a game we learned from friends who found an old copy of the game in a Goodwill store. Code Names was a name we found, a game we found at a pastor's retreat. So we have to work on the lights this week, won't we? Yeah, we're back. Bananagrams was a game we found at a church retreat that the Hingham Church was holding. And the, the introduction, the invitation always goes something like this. We learned this great new game, you should try it with us. Right, we've, we've, learned, we've learned this great new game, you should try it with us. Invitations happen in lots of different ways. You've heard the passages of scripture that we read this morning. Isaiah sees the Lord. We don't know if this was in a dream, a waking vision. We don't know the exact nature of this encounter, but it was striking and powerful enough to change the whole course of his life. God captures the attention of Isaiah, and then he makes an offer. You notice that sequence. First, he captures his attention, and then he says, who will go for us? Isaiah responds. Samuel is asleep, and the passage reminds us he doesn't yet know the word of the Lord. So even though he's serving the temple, this idea of having a, a back and forth kind of relationship with God isn't even in place yet. And, and you heard the story. I mean, the details of his childhood they're probably something other than ideal, I expect. I mean, I've been in the building when three-year-olds get dropped off in pre-K program for the first time. It's not always a quiet affair. There can be long periods of extended screaming until kids calm down and Miss Anna works her magic on them. But we know about Samuel's history, right? You know about the exchange where mom's praying for a child, eventually a child is given, she's promised to dedicate this child to the Lord, and the scripture says, just after he is weaned, she takes him to the temple and leaves him there. I mean, he's there. And now the workers in the temple will care for him, and she essentially doesn't see him for another year. 
I mean, in pre-craze three, mom always comes back in six hours. So here's this child who's been steeped in the culture of the temple. He's serving, you know, scrubbing brass to polish it up and doing whatever the priests ask him to do. And suddenly at night he hears this voice and he doesn't have any context to understand what's happening to him. And so there's some confusion that ensues. He runs for Eli, the guy in charge. And finally, Eli wakes up. Something's going on. He finally figures out what it is. And he gives Samuel the words he needs. He helps him respond to God. And it is God who will outline what he is going to do that offers Samuel a position as the chief spokesperson for God to the nation. And it all starts with an obedient Samuel saying, speak, Lord, your servant is listening. And then there's, there's Andrew, a disciple of John the Baptist. You may not have remembered that John the Baptist had disciples. But he happens to be present when John sees Jesus coming and John points to Jesus and says, behold the Lamb of God. And John identifies Jesus as the Messiah of the world and Andrew knows enough to know that if this is the Messiah, the Messiah is the one he ought to be following. John doesn't hold Andrew back. Andrew goes and immediately responds to Jesus and then does the coolest thing. He just runs right away to Simon and says, hey, Simon, we've, we've found him. Come on, let's go. And he, he invites Simon to join him and Jesus invites others. Together, they follow Jesus based on the identifying words uttered by John the Baptist and the words of the witnesses to those words to bring the people to Jesus so that they can respond to him. It's just been a couple weeks since I articulated the story of the deacons in the book of Acts. The apostles are absorbed in the feeding of the widows. They need help. They tell the people, elect some deacons to help with the serving. In this situation, the invitation to call and serve really is issued by the apostles. The choosing is done by the people. And by virtue of the fact that the people are choosing people who are filled by the Holy Spirit, cooperation with the choice of the people is expected. I mean, all of these calling stories are unique. God is moving and working, but the face of them is different in every case. In some, God calls in the night, even before the people know the word of the Lord. In some places, the calling is done by the people of God themselves under the influence of the Holy Spirit. 
Isaiah sees God in a vision. Samuel hears God in the night. Andrew hears John the Baptist speak. Stephen and Philip and the rest are called by the voice of the church. The Bible is just full of calling stories. It's full of calling stories. It hasn't been too long ago that I listened to one of the Cornerstone School board members tell me about his experience. So he came to one of the school events. I think it may have been a a music concert. Was sitting back over there. And he said, while I was while I was listening to what the children were doing, I felt like the voice of the Spirit was saying, this is really good on so many levels. This is important. And he sort of felt what the Spirit was saying, you need to get more involved in this and lend this ministry all the support you can get. This wasn't a guy from our church, it's from another church in town elsewhere. And he said, I wasn't sure how to do that right away. And then he and I had a conversation about serving on the board. And he said it was like I knew that I needed to volunteer to serve on the school board. And, and he just, he tied together his ministry now on the school board of Cornerstone with that experience and what the Holy Spirit was saying to him at a very deep level. That's not the only conversation that I've had like that. I had another conversation like that just last week. A new lady who's going to be joining the school board who, who just feel like the Holy Spirit has been specifically leading her to get more involved and make herself available even though by every standard her schedule is chaotic. You know the kind of math you have to do when God calls you to do something and your schedule's already chaotic? and you say, I can't fit in one more thing, that's an invitation to subtraction. When God calls you to an area that you don't have time to participate in, you figure out, well, Father, then what has to go so that I can follow you? Because the voice of the Spirit and his leading always takes preeminence in our lives. I've heard lots of stories of a of a burning fire inside the hearts of people that propels them to action. I remember the story of the founder of Rise Again Outreach Ministry up in Concord, New Hampshire, where he just, he felt compelled to do something to reach out to the poor in that community. I remember Gladys McLean's words about the founding of Cornerstone, where she said, the burden to do something about Christian education was so heavy on her that she felt like she could hardly move unless she did something about it. She just felt a heavy burden, a a compelling of the Lord to do something about it. If you've spent any time with Todd Schneider, who runs the rock ministry at uh, Rockville Church and in Manchester and now in Haiti, you will catch a vision very, very quickly of someone who is just passionate about reaching the lost for Christ, and especially the underprivileged. You don't have to spend about like 14 seconds with 
David Blaney to hear about his passion for Ghana. I mean, it doesn't take you, I mean, you don't really have to ask. You understand what I'm saying? He, he's just gonna tell you. Because there's, there's a fire that burns in here that is in response to the calling of God. God speaks, he calls his people. Usually the people he calls are people who are already listening. Usually the people he calls are people who are already obeying. Usually the people he calls are already Christian, but not always. Sometimes the process of being called is the calling to Christ and through that to service. His call isn't to the grandiose or to the glorious or to fame and fortune. Usually the call is simply to service. I think that's the question he asks. Will you serve? Who will go for us? Jesus, where are you staying? Come and see. Follow me. Notice the Samuel story. Samuel's already serving the Lord in the temple. Notice the Andrew story. Andrew is already following John the Baptist. Notice the choice of the deacons, choosing folks who are known to be filled with the Holy Spirit, which is identified with the expression of love. It seems you get an invitation to step up to the plate, and then other invitations come along. I think the question is, will you step up to the plate? Will you serve? By next Sunday, I'm going to have a display on the bulletin board in the hallway outside the school offices. And it will invite folks to participate in service in the church. There there are lots of things that need doing in a ministry like Manchester Church of the Nazarene. And there are times I have to confess that I feel like perhaps we operate on something like half strength. I think there are folks who are reluctant or reticent or maybe unsure that they can make a difference. I would encourage you to leave all the questions of competence up to the Holy Spirit because everyone God calls he enables. So you can rely on him to make you competent and to enable you to do everything he calls you to do. And one thing that's true about us at Manchester Nazarene is we've made some fundamental commitments to the way that we are going to do ministry here. They're rooted in Isaiah 42.3 and Matthew 12.20. Jesus quotes Isaiah, or is quoted about Jesus, these words, a bruised reed he will not break and a smoldering wick he will not snuff out till he has brought justice through to victory. Jesus perseveres until he brings justice through to victory. Think how hard it's going to be to bring justice through to victory in our world. I mean, it's a daunting task. And yet, Jesus never loses sight of the gentleness 
which will mark his manner. This aspect of Jesus' character is so important. You notice I said it was first prophesied of the Messiah in Isaiah, that if Jesus doesn't reflect this, he can't even be the Messiah, because this is the way Messiah comes, in gentleness, not screaming in the street, not tromping on people, but gently calling and inviting. And as a ministry foundation, that means we don't coerce people into serving or manipulate people into serving. We don't motivate by guilt. We simply invite and ask people to follow the leading of the Holy Spirit. Philippians 4, 5 does say, after all, let your gentleness be evident to all the Lord is near. So how we do things is, is as important as what we do. And there are lots of reasons we do things in this way. First of all, we're told in Scripture that whatever we do, we do it as unto the Lord. So if your task is washing dishes, wash them as if Jesus was the next person to eat off the plate. If your task is watching the kids play, be as diligent as if they were Jesus' kids or Jesus himself. If you are adding a column of numbers, care for the finances as if the money belonged to Jesus. Whatever you do, do it for Jesus with thanksgiving. And if you are doing things for Jesus, well, you can be joyful in the process because we're serving the one who gave everything for us. Secondly, we don't manipulate because we don't know what the Holy Spirit is already calling you to do or what you're already doing that we don't see. This occurred to me powerfully when a week or so ago we were down uh, at the school near Bennett Academy downtown walking through, seeing the facility uh, as preparation for the mentoring program that we're involved with at the public school. And so we're, we're, we're walking through the hallways and um, you know, we said hi to little Caleb and we waved at him on the way by and, and, and we got to one place and when someone from our church stepped out of a room who was already working here and I didn't even know they were already working there. I'm not gonna say her name out loud because she'd smack me later because she's a little shy perhaps. And I don't know that she really wants anyone to know that she's doing this. But we recognize that you are deployed in your neighborhoods already. And so it would be inappropriate for us to twist your arm to serve here in the church in a particular way without knowing what you're also doing in your own neighborhoods, which is vital to the mission of Jesus Christ. That's why our method is always to invite, to make you aware of the needs, to encourage but not to manipulate. I hope when you hear me say our method is to invite, you don't think, well then I'm really free to do nothing. You don't answer to us on that, right? We're invited to be stewards of the gifts and talents we're given by God himself. And so you answer to him and, and our best effort is to remind you to answer to him, and to create opportunities for service. I think one of the reasons it's so important to us is that I think we believe that 
service for others is one of the primary means of discipleship, of growing to be more like Jesus that God provides for us. When you serve others, you have to know others. You have to be in proximity to others. You're gonna get banged up by others, right? Because we're not all particularly graceful, and some of us have more rough edges than others, and we tend to, when we're working together, encounter things that aren't pleasant, that are difficult, and it takes the work of the Holy Spirit in us just to enable us to get along, let alone get all the way to loving and caring. But that's how we grow, working together, embracing the priorities of the kingdom, responding to the voice of the Holy Spirit to do the things he wants to accomplish in our community. So you say you need more patience, I've heard a few of you say that. Volunteer to work with some other folks as a team member and you will develop patience. You say you want to become more generous, volunteer to work with some needy kids. You want to become more industrious, call the local soup kitchen and volunteer some time. You want to be more like Jesus, figure out a way to serve those who are lonely and in need of company. Service is one of the main crucibles that the Holy Spirit uses to shape us. I hope you're hearing what I'm saying this morning. You need to get to work for your own good and for the good of others. Let me be, let me be completely candid. I'm not speaking to you today about working and calling because there's an acute lack of workers in the kingdom, though that is true. I'm pleading with you this morning to listen to the voice of the Holy Spirit because I've learned two essential things. First of all, the place of God's calling for you fits you perfectly. You've already been designed and created, given gifts and abilities that fit you perfectly for some role in the family of God. And by listening to the Holy Spirit, you're able to fulfill the role you're designed to fill and if you never really consider that you were created for a task, your chances of finding it are not good. And it is the service you perform today that shapes and strengthens you for tomorrow's trial. We're all gonna face craziness in life. You know that's how it goes. When we get older, our bodies don't get stronger. When we get older, there's no guarantee that our friends outlive us. We, we have trials and difficulties coming our way. And one of the primary ways we're enabled to stand firm in the midst of trials and difficulty is by the service we perform today. God shapes us, strengthens us, and enables us for the tasks that are coming 
by what we do today. So if we've done no service, no exercise, and we've lived self-absorbed lives to the time of our old age, we will be self-absorbed old people. And they're the most crotchety and curmudgeonly people on the planet because they haven't learned the lessons that the Holy Spirit had been trying to teach them across a lifetime. God graciously prepares us for every step of life. And so if you're feeling unprepared for today, one possibility is, is you just didn't bother with all the lessons that get you to this day. But then it also may be that the Holy Spirit is just teaching you to rely on him. Because the one who calls you is faithful. And he will enable you. And he will provide for you. And he will lead you through all the tasks that you undertake by his leading and in his name. So the issue of of serving is critical. All of our service All that we do, we do in the name of Jesus with thanksgiving and joyfulness because he's accomplishing his sanctifying work, his purifying work in our lives as together we embrace the mission of Christ. At a minimum, I have to remind us that Jesus himself invited us to pray for the Lord of the harvest to send workers into the harvest field, right? So we have the specific instructions of Jesus to pray that God will populate his workforce for the benefit of the kingdom and to glorify him. And so I ask you again this morning, will you serve the one who gave his life for you? Will you take courage to step up to the plate with Samuel and say, speak, Lord, your servant is listening. If you will, I am confident that you'll hear him speak, that he will direct your pathways, that he, as we've been told so many times, never wastes a consecrated life that he will use us, and that our investments in the kingdom will reap rich rewards in this life and the next when all of our service is committed to him. Lord Jesus, forgive us for the things that we ought to have done but did not do. May our hearts and lives move at the impulse of your love. We humbly ask, Lord Jesus, that you would not only be clear when you speak to us, but you would enable our ears to hear you clearly. For it is our desire to honor you by serving you. And now may the God of peace equip you with every good thing for doing his will. To the glory of God, Father, Son, and Holy Spirit. Amen.